Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. This is Gavin Ward, co-host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, we were in Las Vegas, Nevada at the HLTH conference in its second annual run. Now, some of you may not have heard of HLTH. Well, I think you should. HLTH is perhaps the largest, most prestigious healthcare conference I've been to. There was over 6,000 attendees and speakers included leadership from Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, and that's Seema Verna, Vice President of Google Health and former Pop Health podcast guest, David Feinberg, and the late and great CEO of Kaiser Permanente, Bernard Tyson. In today's show, you'll learn from individuals, including one you may be familiar with, Dan Trigub, now a leader over at Uber Health. You'll also hear from leadership from Fitbit, which was recently acquired by Google, and a new up-and-coming urgent care organization, Go Health, which includes many locations in the Bay Area through a partnership with Dignity Health. We hope you enjoy today's show, where you'll learn from powerhouses, but also up-and-coming companies. And if you do enjoy today's episode, feel free to leave a review for the podcast on iTunes. And of course, you can learn more about the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and of course, by visiting pophealthpodcast.com. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy today's special episode. So, Dan, nice to see you again, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gavin. Always um, good to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you flew in uh, from San Francisco this morning. I did. I did. Got here bright and early. Okay. We left at 6 a.m. All right. Fortunately, I didn't lose power, given all the issues going on in, yes. in California right now. But, um, you know, definitely thinking about all the people out there and, and showing a lot of friends and family who have been affected. Yeah, man. My uh, buddy's the doctor at UCSF okay. up there, and he said his whole neighborhood powers out, and it's yeah. undetermined when it'll be back on. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, not cool, but <laughs> we'll jump into yes. jump into the talk today. So, uh, what's new with Uber Health, first of all? Yeah, it's been it's been wild. It's been you know a, a very busy uh, but great year for us since I joined the team now just about a year ago. Um, you know, of, of note of late, uh, we've really broken into the Medicaid and Medicare Advantage uh, space around non-emergency medical transportation. Uh, we now have a national partnership with. Uh, a company called American Logistics Company, ALC, um, and we're very proud to be working with them. Uh, we work with many of their health plans to get their members to and from the care that they need, uh, including companies like Care More Health, Inland Empire Health Plan, and many others. Uh, another one I'm, I'm really proud about is our work with Feeding America. So we just launched a national partnership with uh, Feeding America, and Uber Health has a big component uh, to that partnership and really helping to address food insecurity in this country. Um, and given our platform, our scale, our reach, uh, and wanting to be a good steward in the communities we operate in, we think uh, with a company like Feeding America, we can do a lot. That's awesome, Dan. That's good stuff. Now, I know today most of the work you guys do is typically in urban areas. Yes. Um, I know recently I saw some news with Uber Health looking at how do we or how, do, how does Uber Health serve the rural communities? Are you able to touch on that? Yeah, I mean, so so at a high level today, uh, Uber Uber Health is the category position leader in the markets we operate in. You know, on average globally, you're looking at three to five minute ETAs from when somebody requests a ride and a driver's there and available for that person. Now, certainly in rural markets, we're not going to have as strong ETAs. But what we find is, is where we do operate, we typically tend to be better than other alternatives in those markets. The biggest impact that we can have, and as you know, my personal story, I've been in healthcare for a long time. My family runs a very large home care business. The impact we can have for our aging population is tremendous. 77% um, of our aging population deal with at least one chronic condition and 80% 
to chronic conditions. Uh, so with our growing aging population, transportation is critical. In rural markets, um, you know, we are continuing to expand and have a stronger presence, uh, but certainly um, you know, our, our ETAs might not be as strong, but typically, again, we tend to be better than other alternatives. Yeah, I like how you said that, that you typically tend to be better than alternatives. And we're not perfect and we're not everywhere, uh, but certainly, you know, today Uber does 15 million rides a day in over 60 countries, um, in over 700 cities across the globe. And, you know, we do believe it will be more and more ubiquitous as we continue to grow. Um, but right now, today, we can serve rural markets with the, the driver net partners that we have in those markets. Uh, and we do see ourselves continuing to expand. Okay, cool. So you mentioned expansion, um, the senior population. So I know when I first got involved with Uber and on-demand transportation, uh, my day job is for a home care company. The engagement of the senior population and accepting on-demand mm -hmm. rides and you know new tech uh, was tough. And one of the reasons uh, uh, my day job, we, we helped connect the seniors yep. to Uber via phone. And do you see an uptick in the senior population when it comes to comfort with technology now that, you know, I know our generation, for example, 30 years from now when we're seniors, yep. we'll be fine with it. So have you seen that uptick? So there is, there has been an uptick without doubt, but certainly there is a big portion of our population that of our elders that don't have a smartphone, that don't know anything about Uber, don't have an Uber account. And that's exactly why we built Uber Health. You know, we built uh, a platform within a HIPAA compliant infrastructure, uh, thinking about HIPAA compliance, and allowing anybody, a hospital, a care provider, health plan administrator, a company like 24-Hour Home Care, who's using our tools to better serve the people that they care for. Uh, and by building this platform, a third party who we work with can now order rides on behalf of the, of the people they serve. So, you know, a grandmother does not need a smartphone, does not need an Uber account. They can call a transportation coordinator. They can call a health system. Uh, and now they can request the ride upon their behalf. Um, and you know, there's no doubt that transportation is at the core of our aging population's needs when we look at you know, lack of independence, social isolation. Uh, the CDC has actually come out and has said that access to transportation is a social determinant of health. Um, and I think for us, it's making Uber Health as ubiquitous as possible, whether direct to a consumer or, frankly, spending a lot of time building these business partnerships. Okay, cool. Now, earlier you talked about Medicare Advantage. There's been a lot of change and uh, more flexibility yep. given by one of the speakers uh, from CMS today, or excuse me, tomorrow, Seema Verna, who heads CMS up. So that freedom, has that helped allow for your expansion? Absolutely. So I think Medicare Advantage of our growing private pay sector uh, has been the most progressive around offering transportation as a benefit. Uh, and we certainly see more and more MA plans coming out and having that as a component, not to mention also meal and grocery delivery. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I should mention Uber has one of the largest meal delivery platforms in the world with Uber Eats. Um, so there's a lot that they're doing to be very progressive. And as you know, these are commercial payers running these plans. Yeah. And they have to differentiate. They have to compete. And offering transportation, especially during the open enrollment period right now, uh, is a key thing that they're, they're putting out there. But I would also say Medicaid has been very progressive, especially around looking at ride share for yep. non-emergency medical transportation. Florida, Texas, and Arizona recently changed regulations to allow rideshare to do non-emergency medical nice. transportation. Nice. Uh, and we're seeing more and more of our partners leveraging us for our Medicaid population as well. 
Okay, awesome, Dan. And then lastly today, uh, you were speaking here at the HLTH conference in a session called Odd Couples of Health. Yes. Uh, tell the audience what you'll be sharing today. Yeah, so uh, the audience will have to stay tuned. Uh, we, we certainly, we have that session coming up in a few hours um, and we'll have to, uh, people will have to, you know, read up and, and hear about it. What I can say is we'll be on stage with Cerner uh, and Cerner is one of the largest electronic health record companies, EHRs, uh, in the world. Um, they serve over 5,200 hospitals across the country. So we're going to be talking with leadership from there. And we'll also be joined by uh, head of innovation at Baycare Hospital, which is a hospital system uh, in central Florida. So um, some exciting things to, to be talking about. Awesome. And lastly, Dan, a lot, most of our listeners are healthcare professionals. I'm guessing by now many of their organizations are already plugged in with Uber Health. But one of the things I often hear, maybe for those that aren't plugged in yet, is there's no way to reach someone uh, like who, who, who is there an account manager or yep. someone I can talk to if I sign up with Uber Health? Yeah. So we have a dedicated team uh, of account management professionals, account executives, business development. Um, so we have a, a, an entire group uh, that I help oversee at Uber uh, that is just part of Uber Health. So we're our own siloed standalone business. We're our own LLC within the, the broader Uber uh, brand and company. Um, and I would definitely tell your audience to go to www.uberhealth.com. Um, and we have a dedicated page there. Uh, there'll be some information about our upcoming announcements. Uh, they'll be posted there uh, and they can always reach out and fill out, fill out a form. And one of our account managers will be in touch with them. Awesome. And I have personal experience, uh, with your account managers. It's been a good experience. So for those of you out thinking there's no one to talk to, uh, that's not, that's definitely not true. Well, Dan, appreciate you uh, coming by and your colleague, Nikki, for setting this up. Good luck at the conference today, guys. Thank you so much, Gavin. Great to, great to always chat with you. Likewise. So in between guests, I was sitting here in the media lounge and Laura Carabello uh, came up to me. Uh, Laura is the founder of Medical Travel Today, which we'll get to in just a moment. And Laura saw me wearing my podcast t-shirt and thought, hey, maybe some of her guests that she's interviewing for her magazine um, could be a good fit for the show. And so she pitched them to me and I politely declined because we've had similar content. They sound like great guests but I politely declined. And then I asked her about her business. What is medical travel today? Thinking, oh, maybe it's travel nursing because I used to work in that business a while back. And she's like, oh no. So Laura, what is medical travel today? Medical travel today is a publication, uh, international global reach of about 42,000 and growing um, that we've been publishing for the last 13 years. And it reaches a B2B to audience uh, brokers, employers, a lot of employers, uh, intermediaries, third-party administrators, anybody who's involved in medical travel, which means leaving your home and going to a destination, whether it's in the United States or outside the United States, uh, for medical care that is accessible, affordable, and high quality. We also cover uh, hospitals and healthcare facilities that are looking to attract patients, as well as patients coming to the United States. A lot of people still feel that the U.S. is the best place for health care, and they don't mind paying the price. So you've got kings and queens and all kinds of high-level people coming to the United States for medical care. And that's what medical travel is. Very cool. My buddy's actually a surgeon who went to, and I won't name the country because um, for privacy reasons, but he took care of a king in another country. So he actually was flown from the United States to another country. So you're, that was a little bit of a tangent, but it's not just about people coming to the United States. 
It's also about maybe people leaving the country for care as well, correct? Correct. And people go, started to go originally for dental care because dental care was so inexpensive. And then it migrated over to elective surgeries, bariatric surgeries, and now it's covering the gamut of everything from spine and uh, joint replacement to pharmacy travel. People are traveling to Bumingrad Hospital, for example, in Thailand to get their specialty drugs at a tenth of the cost. So hepatitis C, multiple sclerosis, all these specialty drugs that are so expensive in the United States, they can get them for a tenth of the cost outside the country. And then if they bring them into the United States, is that okay? They can bring back 90-day supply. Okay. That's all. But ah. a lot of these uh, therapies only require you to go for a couple of days or a week. You can even go for oncology treatments and stay for a month, for example, yeah. in uh, Mexico or Thailand or Europe. France is doing a big, big push on this. Stay for a week, get your therapy, and come back. Wow, that's very neat. So this is fantastic. I think people may have like on occasion heard about medical travel or medical tourism, but you're really the expert. How long has medical travel today been around? We've been around 13 years, and it's easy. Sign up at www.medicaltraveltoday.com. It's free, um, and we have a great readership, and if you have a facility or you have an interest in getting published or interviewed, I'd love to hear from you. Very good, folks. So Laura Carabello has been our guest, the founder of Medical Travel Today. Totally unscheduled and impromptu, but this has been great and appreciate you being part of this episode at HLTH. Thank you. Take care. All right, folks. So I have the opportunity to sit down with Todd Latz, who's the CEO of Go Health Urgent Care. Todd's based out of Atlanta, but uh, Go Health is actually throughout many states. Todd, where is Go Health today? We're located, Gavin, in nine states across the country. More markets than that, but currently in nine states, spanning from the East Coast uh, into the Midwest and uh, West Coast as well, but Northern California. Okay, awesome. Now, Todd mentioned he's based out of Atlanta, originally from St. Louis, so we got to talk some good sports here. Uh, one thing I want to note is Todd's actually wearing a Fitbit device. We're recording today on the second day of the HLTH conference. It's Monday, and we actually had Fitbit on yesterday, Amy from Fitbit. Um, he was mentioning how he and his daughter actually have a work week challenge. Talk to us about that. Yeah, my, uh, my daughter is pretty active. In fact, uh, a couple of my kids have Fitbits, and they think that they can uh, outstep me every day. So they send me challenges, especially when they know that I'm going to be spending most of the day on an East Coast to West Coast flight, so they can try <laughs> to take advantage. Nice, man. When did you fly in then? I just uh, flew in this morning. Okay, this morning. That's yeah. right. That makes sense. Cool. Uh, well, very good. So tell us very briefly, what is Go Health Urgent Care? Yeah, so Go Health Urgent Care is obviously an urgent care business, but we're pretty differentiated in our market because we've been purpose-built from the very beginning, Evan, to partner. So every one of our centers, we have 135 of them today nationally, is in a deeply integrated joint venture partnership with a not-for-profit health system. Okay, so is that part of your mission that it has to be a not-for-profit health it is, system? It does not have to be a not-for-profit health system, but it has to be a major player in the healthcare continuum. So we've looked at partnerships with all types of health systems, whether for-profit or not-for-profit. Okay. We've talked to payers, and we also have talked to large, integrated, multi-specialty physician groups. Okay, cool. And while our, most of our audience is kind of on the west side of the United States, go ahead and name some of your national partners today. Sure. So um, the business actually started with the acquisition of five locations up in Portland, Oregon. Today we're partnered with Legacy Health there. Okay. Uh, we have a partnership in the Bay Area with Dignity Health, now Common Spirit. Uh, in the Midwest with Mercy, 
Our largest market is in New York, where we have 52 locations with Northwell Health, and then we're also in Hartford, Connecticut with Hartford Healthcare, and in North Carolina with Novant Health. Okay, cool. A lot of our listeners are here in California, so you mentioned Dignity Health. Give us a little background on that deal. Yeah, that was uh, actually our third deal, so a great opportunity to bring urgent care into the Bay Area. So most of our centers are actually in San Francisco proper, a little bit down the peninsula, and then over the Golden Gate Bridge into Marin, Um, and a huge growth opportunity that we see. uh, Believe it or not, Gavin, urgent care is pretty nascent in the Bay Area, so there wasn't much of it when we got out there. It took us about five months to be the largest provider of urgent care in the market. Okay. Um, We did an acquisition almost exactly a year ago to buy our largest competitor, Um, so we are the largest provider of urgent care in the Bay Area, but believe that there is a ton of growth opportunity going forward, both in the East Bay and all the way down the peninsula. Well, it's great to hear that Dignity partnered with you guys. I remember a couple years ago, um, I was doing a class with some nurses and case managers, including a couple case managers from an emergency department. And I was teaching them, you know, of course, today that there's a lot of referrals to urgent care and why sometimes urgent care makes the most sense. And uh, they looked at me and gave me an evil eye. And these, are, these were not Dignity, right. uh, but they're hospital-based ED, emergency department case manager, said, we would get in trouble, this is coming from them, we would get in trouble if we were telling our patients to go to urgent care instead of the emergency department because we're giving business away. Yeah. So it's really neat to see a hospital have a different mindset. And right. I wanted to see, um, have you seen a lot of that shift over the years? Has there been a battle with those conversations? It's a great question. Yeah. Uh, so we've had uh, we've had all of those conversations, you might imagine, right? Talking with health systems about doing this in a very collaborative way. Every one of our centers is co-branded. So in the Bay Area, we're Dignity Health, Go Health. Um, and that's quite purposeful. Um, again, we've been built from the very beginning to partner. So we're on the same, either the same uh, EMR, as our partner, okay. or we bidirectionally interface through their HIE. The, the point of that is so that we're on a common medical record with all of the other patients in that health system. So if you've been to the emergency room, if you've been admitted to the hospital, any physicians that are aligned with that health system, we have your records access to them. We think that allows us to provide a higher level of care. And because the health system's name is on our door, we are a different opportunity for a patient and for a payer, right? So when you hear that uh, the nurse right in the ED say, well, we'll get in trouble in our environment, we're part of that same system, right? So there's no trouble for the ED. We want, and our partners want, patients to end up in the right place. And if the right place for a low acuity visit is urgent care, then we want them to be in urgent care and not clogging up an ED that ought to be there and available for much higher acuity patient. And our partners, I think, are much more progressive than most health systems in their thinking about it it makes sense for them in some respects to cannibalize themselves from an emergency medicine standpoint, get that patient in the right place and hang on to them and then connect them through the broader continuum of care because we can do same day referrals, next day referrals into specialty and back into primary care. So we work really closely with primary care. So it's a much more integrated play. Okay, cool. One thing I noticed on your website, Todd, uh, was pricing, Yes, which is always nice. Now, urgent care is more known for having pricing, but sometimes you have to wait till you get there right. to see the prices. I love how you guys put it on the website. Yeah, it's a big piece for us, uh, Gavin. We're, we're very much into price uh, transparency, and we have a lot of digital acquisition tools and convenience tools that we've done for patients to give them that confidence. So we want them to be able to understand their eligibility so that they have the ability to be seen depending on what their insurance is. And we, we see every Everything because we're partnered with not-for-profit health systems. So yeah. we see Medicare patients, Medicaid patients, every one of our centers across the country 
uh, and we want our patients to be able to check in online by just first name, last name, and their mobile phone number. They can manage it all digitally through text. So they, we're putting the patient back in control of their own care, where they're seen, when they're seen. And they need to have the confidence of what their financial responsibility is going to be and that they can be cared for. Okay. Awesome. What do you think has been the, uh, the biggest win for you and your time at uh, Go Health, or the biggest thing you're excited about? I think the thing that I'm most excited about is the future. So I think it's still relatively early in the game for urgent care. I think urgent care 1.0, sort of physician practice, smaller onesie twosies, um, was really the first part of the evolution of the industry. I think we've certainly moved on from that. So larger um, professionalized organizations, but, but when, it, when you think about the consumer facing aspects, the tools that are being put in place to really focus on that consumer or customer. You'll hear me say that much more than I say patient. That's yeah. by design. Um, I think we have a long way to go there. And then when you think about population health and value-based care, we're doing a number of things in every one of our markets with payers and with our provider partners and then with large integrated physicians. So other providers in the market to ensure that patients are getting to the right place and getting that right price point, which is hopefully a value play, um, and able to better manage their care across that continuum. Now, you mentioned getting to the right place. Yes. Um, uh, I know at the right time as well, right? Yes. So, so there's some urgent cares that are 24-7, some are 8 to 10. What's your model and why do you have your current Yeah, model? so typically we start with a 12-hour day and then we'll build from there with um, with our volume. So if, yeah. if we have a demand. So we I have a real-time dashboard, so I can pull up right now on my iPhone and tell you every center across the country is patient volume, who's checked in, how many patients are coming later today, where they are. So if they've hit the lobby, if they've checked in, if they're in a room, if they're in front of a provider, so we track all those KPIs and then we just watch that. And so we'll watch and see, is there a greater demand in the first hour? If that's eight to 9 a.m. when we open, then we'll open an hour earlier. If there's great demand to go later, we have some pediatric specific urgent cares. They tend to go later because that's more of an ED diversion tactic later in the evening. Uh, But our model today is so digital that it can be really flexible. So we'll flex it up and down depending on demand too. So in the high season, so as you know, flu and, and upper respiratory heats up, in the winter time, we'll expand our hours. We have a very flexible model. So a number of locations in a single market um, and we can move staff around intraday to meet patient demand. That's why oh, we use digital tools. Right. So okay. I know that eight patients just checked in in the Castro, for instance, right? In San Francisco, we have another location that's two miles away. If the patients have chosen all to go there, we can move a provider, we can move an MA, we can move an RT, whatever the need is, from one center to the another to try to meet that patient convenience. Cool. And remind the audience uh, with urgent cares, is a provider always an MD? It's not in our model. So we use a lot of extenders or, or APCs. Yep. Um, depends on where you are in the country. Um, some areas, New York is uh, almost entirely PA versus NP. Okay. The West Coast tends to be a bigger mix of nurse practitioners. Yeah. Um, so we do have uh, MDs. Every one of our medical directors is an emergency medicine trained yeah. um, MD. So we have a mix of both MDs, PAs, and, uh, and MPs. Okay, awesome. And uh, here at HLTH, Todd, your, my last question for you. What are you hoping to take away? I love to hear about the innovation and where healthcare is moving. I love the idea that people come here to try to solve the bigger problems that are facing our healthcare environment. Um, And the idea that if we all put our minds to it, that we can make these things simpler than they might appear. Okay. So for you this week, uh, mostly learning, 
I think there's learning, there's connectivity, so it's a great opportunity for us to meet with some of our current partners. We do a lot of business development here okay. in terms of meeting future health systems uh, that could be partners for us. And then there's a lot going on, so my chief marketing officer is here looking at a lot of innovation around digital patient acquisition, um, and then doing some really interesting things and having conversations around AI and how we can use things like RPA, so robotic process automation, to improve what we do even on the back end on RepCycle. Okay. Awesome, Todd. Well, hey, appreciate you coming by, and nice talking some yeah. soccer off the air as well. There you go. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed it. All right. Take care. One neat thing about the HLTH conference is I had the opportunity to sit down with Amy McDonough, who is the Senior Vice President and GM for Fitbit Health Solutions. And what was kind of cool is, I didn't know this, but the next day that rumor that Google was purchasing Fitbit uh, came out to the public and just a few days later it became official. Amy did a great job of keeping that under wraps and sharing how Fitbit is actually now being a product that's offered to beneficiaries of various health plans as well as a lot of other information on Fitbit and what they're doing to move forward. So we hope you enjoy the conversation with Amy. So Amy, share with the audience something about you that might surprise your colleagues even. Great. Well, first, thanks for having me today. Um, one thing that might surprise folks is that I actually started my career as a first grade teacher. Oh. And first grade teaching comes very handy in business. There's a lot of common principles that I apply in the way I run a business today. Okay. Um, now, first graders, I know, aren't always attentive or following instruction. Uh, was that the way you were going with business or is there some other uh, principle there that you're thinking? Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> keep them focused on main task, um, remind and repeat things, um, keep it simple to follow, um, write on a blackboard or what used to be a blackboard is now typically a whiteboard. Yeah. All of those principles really work well when running a meeting, right? So set yeah. expectations up front, make sure that everyone's kind of following along or change the energy in the room and then close it out with like, what's your homework and what's the next step? Okay, cool. Awesome. And one thing I forgot to say, folks, uh, Amy McDonough is the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Fitbit Health Solutions. Um, and she will be actually presenting a little bit later today as we record uh, this podcast. And you're going to be talking about wellness. Tell, or tell us about your session. Sure. Yeah, yeah the session is a panel uh, called Wellness Reimagined. Okay. And what we're talking about is the changes that have happened in the wellness industry over the, the last, you know, 10 and really 30 years since wellness really became a topic and now has become well-being. And when you think about technology and the integration of technology into wellness and, and what does that look like as we move forward? Okay, awesome. I uh, also want to give a shout out to my wife, Tina, who's a third grade teacher. So Way to go, uh, Tina. <laughs> she also applies a lot of the principles in the class with uh, with our family, and uh, that is her job. So I guess that she applies it in her job. Um, okay, very good. So uh, Amy is from the Bay Area, and as we're recording today, we're actually chatting, and uh, Dan, who uh, from Uber Health, who was just on as well, is also from the Bay Area, and there's a lot of fires. So uh, we were uh, Amy's kids uh, spoke with her recently, and there, there's no power. That's right. We lost power uh, right after I left to get to Vegas uh, yesterday. So about six, six or seven p.m. last night. Expected back uh, tomorrow okay. uh, on Monday. So the kids are not happy about not being able to use technology or watch Sunday football. Um, but yes. as I explained to them, and as I think is important, is getting us all better prepared um, and safety first. Uh, we lived hundreds of years without power before this, and so we can do it again. I like it. I like it, and it's a good uh, good reminder for all. All of us that hey we can survive without right. power 
Cool. So a little bit of background uh, from you, Amy. Where'd you grow up and uh, maybe where you went to school? Sure. I grew up uh, in in the in Boston or the Boston area, uh, Metro Boston area. Um, so Patriots fan and Red Sox fan still. Um, though you know, I have uh, shifted my allegiance. I've spent about the tw- last twenty years in the Bay Area, so I am a Warriors fan. <laughs> um, oh yeah. So a little bit of, a little bit of mixed uh, bi coastal there. Um, so grew up in, in the Bay Area. My family's actually originally from Illinois, so I would also say I have some Midwestern roots uh, in me, and spent some summers on the farms. Um, and now, and then went to school uh, locally in, in the Boston area as well. And I went to undergrad at Marymount College, which is a small liberal arts school about 20 minutes outside of Boston. That's where I got my education degree uh, and it, also a major in English. And then when I moved out to the Bay Area, I also have a professional marketing certificate from UC Berkeley and continue my education there. Awesome. Uh, Ryan, if you hear that, UC Berkeley. Uh, Ryan's the, one of the founders <laughs> yeah, of the podcast. Cool. Um, okay, so let's jump into Fitbit. So when I think of Fitbit, I remember buying my wife a Fitbit um, probably, I don't know, maybe five years ago. And um, and I was thinking, yeah, this is a pedometer company. So Fitbit, not just a pedometer company, right? So much more than a pedometer. So I've had the pleasure of actually being with Fitbit since the very beginning. So oh, I've wow. been with the company for almost 11 years, about a year before they announced, or a, excuse me, a year before they shipped the first product. So right after they announced the first product. And you're right, I spent the first couple of years explaining what a pedometer was and why this was so much more than a pedometer. So uh, a pedometer, you know, of course has been around for several hundred years um, and kind of would accurately track your steps. What we do is so much more. Really quickly, sorry to interrupt, I didn't realize a pedometer has been around for a couple hundred years. Yeah, I believe it's a about 100, it was um, it was basically a step counter. And what it did is a pendulum and it would track back and, you know, it would track kind of motion, one directional. Um, and now um, we use what is actually technically a three axis accelerometer, as well as now many more sensors that are more accurate in terms of measuring forward force as well as motion. Um, and then you, we've layered onto that, of course, over the last, you know, several years, um, the ability to track heart rate um, on the wrist. So without a chest strap um, and all the Day long and getting a resting heart rate, which was a really hard metric to get even four years ago. And that's something we introduced into the market. Um, things like sleep are also things that we can track now. So sleep stages, sleep cycles. And we actually give um, our premium members a sleep score so they can help um, improve their sleep. So lots of things uh, that are so much more the pedometer. Um, and one really important one is it's a connected device. So the social determinants of health, um, connecting directly to an iOS or an Android device um, and being able to get that real-time feedback around those metrics and turning those that data into actionable guidance and insights. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we'll get a lot more into that here in a moment. Um, you mentioned you were there at the start. So I'm curious, who came up to you and said, hey, come join us and tell us briefly about that story? Sure. I had worked with the two co-founders of Fitbit, uh, James Park and Eric Friedman, at a prior company. Uh, They left, the way I tell the story, to start their baby, which became Fitbit. I had a real-life baby who's now a 12-year-old. And they asked me, as they started to announce the product, they announced it at TechCrunch 50 at that forum 
12 years ago. Um, and shortly after that, they started to hear both from consumers and excite, excitement in kind of how to use these tools, as well as from employers and health plans and health systems. Um, and so they invited me to come join and help them grow the business. So I worked across the business, doing everything from customer support to media to marketing, a little bit of everything there in the beginning as such as startup life. Yeah. Um, and then quickly though, saw the need from employers and payers and plans to work with them. And that was really the beginning of our health solutions business 10 years ago. That's cool. Now, when Fitbit started um, originally about 11 or so years ago, yeah. was there, I know, and we'll get to the, the world today and how there's sure. some competition there. Was there much competition when you guys started? There actually was not. Uh, there was it was it was a really interesting kind of blue ocean space. Um, there again had been kind of a traditional pedometer, but the idea of and we actually had to categorize it. We, you know, come up with a category. We called it a wireless activity tracker. Um, there was a connected pedometer. There were a couple different terms before wearable stuck. Um, so we were very early entrant into the market, uh, really making it accessible, affordable, um, and fun. Yeah. So what would you say was the, the product that has really, in your 11 years, was really like, wow. I know you've had a lot of cool products, but what was the one that you think really helped Fitbit get its name out there? I think it's really the evolution of the story and continue to bring innovation to the wrist rather than one particular product that okay. tipped it. I would say that, you know, I think we were one of the first to take the devices and actually integrate them directly into Bluetooth low energy yeah. when that be became available on the phones. Um, and that was really game changing because what it did was allow you to disintermediate and forget about the computer and having to sync to a computer and then look on a phone, but actually be able to sync uh, mobily directly. Um, and that I think was a really big tipping point for the industry in general. Okay. Um, and uh, again, made that data much more actionable right away. Okay, cool. Now, um, one of your newest products is the Fitbit Versa 2. Can you explain what in the world that is? Sure. So the Fitbit Versa 2 is our newest lineup in our smartwatch. Um, it's the, the the next version of our Fitbit Versa, okay. the original version. Um, what it brings together is really form factor. Um, so you can see I'm wearing one on my wrist. Um, what it does is allow you to have a great display, bringing all these easy to use features. You've got four to seven day battery life on most of our devices. Okay. And it's really bringing to the forefront health in a smartwatch factor form factor. Um, so you can access your activity, your sleep, your exercise, you can track exercise. It also brings really productivity apps into it as well. So it is a smartwatch platform. Um, so you're able to see, for example, the weather um, or your calendar reminders right on your wrist. So it brings the, it's health forward and health first, but also brings some really key uh, productivity factors that just help you be more uh, involved throughout the day. Okay, cool. So as you talk about the different features and benefits of the Versa 2, how has Fitbit been able to separate itself as more and more companies try to catch up to you guys and do what you're doing? Sure. One, I would say our mission has not changed since the very beginning. So it is to make everyone in the world healthier. It's a great mission and a great goal. And I think we continue to, to build on that mission by bringing great tools to market. Um, and we really have some core tenants around that that have helped uh, us stay focused on that goal. One is accessibility. So price points that are accessibility um, and, and are accessible and affordable. Um, 
Also compatibility, so cross OS compatibility, iOS and Android. Um, health needs to be universally access accessible. Um, and so by providing you know, universal platform com compatibility, we're able to bring that to more people at a true scale. Um, we also bring features like battery life and some of the things we've talked about earlier, heart rate, sleep tracking. I'm in a really deep expertise in those areas to now, as we look forward, bring insights and guidance to our same consumers and to our end users to be able to help them reach their health goals. Okay, cool. And you mentioned consumers. Are you able to touch on like how many people you guys have served or sure. maybe some stats about Fitbit? Sure. Yeah. So um, we have uh, 27 million active, unique users. Wow. Um, so 27 million users on the platform and we've sold you know, well over 80 million devices. And so a big portion of those are still actively using our devices. The 80 million is since the 10 year inception. Okay. So 27 million um, actively still using the platform and engaged in their health. Okay, that's cool. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you mentioned like health plans. Sure. So I was doing a podcast, uh, recording a podcast with Humana, uh, I think last month in Louisville, Kentucky. And to be upfront, I hadn't been paying much attention to the smartwatch or Fitbit type product and interaction with health plans until I heard this. And I was like, wait, Humana offers a benefit to its employees where they get like a reimbursement or, or some kind of discount. And I wanted to ask you, how are you guys working with, in this, in, in their situation, it was their employees, but you mentioned health plans. So it's probably just not employers for their own employees, but also for beneficiaries. Can you talk about that? Sure, absolutely. So our Fitbit Health Solutions business, which I lead, um, is our business working with employers, health plans, other payers, um, as well as pharma and research markets to help them bring cost-effective, uh, great tools to drive healthcare outcomes, as well as healthcare cost savings. Um, and so that's really, we bring a full solution to market. It takes our wearables. It also combines that with digital interventions and tools, program experiences, um, and behavioral insights. And then it adds on to that health coaching. So digital health coaching um, that allows you to have real-time uh, discussions one-on-one -on -one to help you reach your personal health goals. So those are the solutions that we now work with more than 100 health plans, as well as 1,700 enterprise employers, helping them build a healthier population. So is the coach a, uh, a or not a Humana, sorry. Is it a Fitbit em like employed coach? Is it a partner coach? Is it the health plans coach that you teach? Sure. How does that work? Yeah, so um, they are uh, Fitbit, they're through a network of Fitbit uh, either partners and or our direct, uh, you know, staff. Okay. Um, and they range in cert so they're, they're certified health coaches. Um, so they have, you know, minimum health so uh, coach certification, but they also may be a registered, registered dietitian okay. um, or a nurse practitioner, um, depending on the needs of the individual population. And that really goes back to our whole approach to behavior change. So we believe that there, and we know from our years of experience that there are four fun foundational behaviors that really help drive health outcomes. And that's a, applicable across the spectrum of care. Whether you're on the wellness spectrum and trying to run your first 5K or whether you're battling a common and costly condition, 
such as diabetes or hypertension, are those four foundational behaviors really apply across that. And that's where our health coaches are focused. And that's why Humana, who when you were down in Louisville, as they say, yeah. <laughs> uh, they play, they, uh, you know, they chose our Fitbit Care platform from Health Solutions to introduce to their clients um, as their preferred coaching partner. Okay, cool. Now you mentioned the four foundational behaviors. Yes. What are those? Yes, there are lots of things that, that Fitbit uh, has really led the way in track, uh, tracking, which is around activity, okay. sleep, nutrition, and mindfulness. Mindfulness. Explain That's that right. one. <laughs> yeah. So mindfulness, you could also think about this as ways to reduce stress, way to be mindful around your activity. I um, mean, Fitbit integrates that into their products in a few different ways. Um, the first one is, you know, of course, we have a, 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 we measure resting heart rate, and that can be a big indicator of your stress level as well as other things that might be going on. Um, we offer a mindfulness um app right on the, the wrist, two and five minutes, where you can take a breathing, a guided breathing exercise that is based on your individual heart rate and allow you to kind of control and slow your breath, which will in turn help you with your mindfulness throughout the day. Okay. I mean, it's a very personalized experience and that's unique to Fitbit because of our ability to look at your resting heart rate and kind of help you control that. That's really cool. Okay. So we talked about the uh, going back to product. Well, actually, let me backtrack a second. We're sure. talking about health plans now. So let's talk about seniors. Um, our audience is typically healthcare professionals, mm -hmm. uh, most of which, at least at some level, interact with seniors. Sure. So I wanted to ask you, how is Fitbit helping seniors today? And how's the engagement with seniors actually utilizing their Fitbit? Sure. We're proud of our work with, with engaging the senior population um, and helping them live a more a proactive and kind of age healthily and gracefully in, in place. Um, we work with Medicare Advantage. Um, we actually worked with those programs uh, in this past plan year and as well as in this upcoming plan year. So we're working with United Healthcare. Um, we were in 42 Medicare Advantage plans this year, moving to 59 plans across 27 states next year. And we're in a benefit. And so your, most of your audience probably knows what that means. But what it means to a consumer and to a member, in this case to a senior, is they have access to the device at no cost to them. So really exciting part of the plan design for them to keep them engaged and proactive in their health. So when you say access to the, the device, mm -hmm. which device? That's a great question. We believe in the power of choice. Um, so generally, there is a, an entry-level device. In, depending on the plan, it might be an Inspire HR or one of our other really popular products designed for this uh, population. However, we also believe that participants and employees and members should be treated as consumers, and they should be able to choose the device that best suits their needs, which is why we offer a full range. So they can also choose the product that will work best for them in their program. So just to confirm, if I'm 65 plus with one of the, uh, and I'm a beneficiary of one of these health plans that you are uh, contracted or partnered with, it's no cost to get a Fitbit device. That's right. Yeah. I know That's I, right. I, it's I know part you just of their plan that. benefit. I know you just said that, but I had no idea. And I'm guessing most people that are not seniors themselves or not don't work for the health plans know this yet. So to me, this isn't, this isn't breaking news to you, but to our audience, it's probably news to a lot of us. I'm glad to hear you say that because we're really excited about the work that we're doing there. And we do think that it can really help uh, 
with lifestyle and behavioral proactive approach to health. Um, and so really exciting to help get the word out about that. Yeah. Um, in addition, we also work with United Healthcare on a what's called a Renew Active program, okay. which is a fitness benefit for seniors. Also, maybe not as well known, but they're going to have access to a unique Fitbit community right within our app experience to help engage socially with others, which will help both motivation as well as accountability. So meaning if we're both in a plan benefit um, and we join this community, we can help engage each other digitally, um, regardless of where we, you know, where our home is, um, and keep that social motivation and accountability. So really helping to keep seniors active. That's really cool. Now you talked about um, afford affordability a couple times here on the show. Sure. So I know you can't reveal like contract prices of plans or anything like that, but that's a big issue. Um, you know, a lot of these smart devices, you know, start depending on the company, you know, definitely in the hundreds, right? So what, uh, I'm trying to do this without, you can't, I know there's certain secrets you can't reveal. I can reveal. talk about <laughs> the retail pricing, so <laughs> we can go there. Yeah, let's talk about retail pricing and how you've, sure. uh, in your mind, have made it more affordable. Sure. Uh, yeah, go yeah ahead. absolutely. So our we have a whole line of trackers. It starts at $69 um, for a, a smart tracker form factor and goes all the way up into smart uh, smart uh, watches in the, you know, 250 call it category. So that price range makes it very accessible um, and affordable. You know, again, to get to the $69 price range, you're still getting a device that tracks your activity and your sleep and all of your exercise connects into an app and helps you engage with that social community. So that's a retail price point. Yep. Um, and so you you know, you can imagine without me sharing, you know, specific contracted pricing that, you know, as part of a contracted relationship, we can make that a, a you know, a very affordable product to include as a, a plan benefit. Yeah, and going back to the plans, they need to see the ROI, right? That's right. Because when they include your, uh, your device or watches into their plan, Medicare's not giving them more money to pay for your watch. That's right. They are willing to invest in your product because there's an ROI somewhere. That's right? right. Talk about that. Sure. ROI and, and both results in terms of health outcomes and healthcare cost savings is really where a health solutions business is focused. Really important part of the value proposition, as you mentioned. And we're actually seeing health plans embrace that because they're seeing that ROI. Um, for example, we work with United Healthcare on another program, um, not for a senior population, but for a commercial population. So through employers. Yeah. That program is called uh, Motion uh, and it tracks your free frequency, intensity, and tenacity of movement. So you can think about that as fit. Um, and if you can meet certain metrics throughout the day, you, uh, you can earn up to $3 a day, up to $1,500 a year back into your healthcare savings account or your flexible spending account just for meeting some proactive health goals. Love that. Love that. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pitching this to my employer <laughs> uh, for sure. It really aligns <laughs> incentives. Um, yeah. But I think the message there is that the plans are doing the actuarial science to show that the ROI is that if we can keep folks in proactive health, and that applies to a commercial population as well as to a senior population, we're then able to tie that back to results um, and help drive those cost savings and cost benefits for the individuals participating. Okay. And speaking of individuals participating, so we've been talking about health plans for a little bit. One thing I didn't really think of until I did some more research before uh, sitting down with you today is kids. Right. So Amy's got, as she mentioned, uh, there's a 12 year old and a. Yeah, I have a 12 and an eight year old boys. Okay. Two boys. Um, and 
well, Fitbit, for those of you that don't know, and I didn't know till this morning, as I was doing some last minute preparations, they have a device called the uh, ACE2. That's right. Tell us about that. Sure. So one, you know, the family story and that social connectedness is a really important thing that Fitbit thinks about. So we talked about it as it relates to seniors, but it also relates to a whole family approach to health. When you think about social determinants of health and who you're surrounding yourself with, and also just starting those early uh, good, healthy behaviors. So we've developed a, a Fitbit ACE2 product. It's the, uh, the the new version of our Fitbit ACE product, just as we announced Versa2 uh, for the adult population. And what this product does is actually combine, so it's a, it's a Fitbit wearable. It uh, syncs through a parent account. So there's a parent and then a child account. So for example, for my children, I can go in, see my children's activity. I can challenge them to a step competition. They generally win. Uh, they <laughs> nice. have recess. I don't most yes. days. Um, but it's really helpful for them to be able to see that. I can also really see insights into their sleep. Are they getting enough sleep for their um, you know, for their age ranges um, or the night before a test um, and how that might be impacting their behavior and their activity levels? Um, and all of that is controlled by the parent so that the parent can, you know, can see who they want to connect with, but adds to that social and family story, which is a really important part. Part of health. That is awesome. So again, it's called the ACE2. My, I'm just thinking of my kids right now. So they sometimes sneak into my room and they wake up in the middle of the night. Why is that? Uh, I have a child uh, a little bit younger, but uh, six and nine, and they frequently wake up in the middle of the night. So all this stuff is pretty interesting to me. I also noticed on the uh, site when I was researching, uh, the kids can be connected uh, with the smartphone if the parents would like, not required, right? That's right. Yeah. So it's all controlled by the parent account, um, but they can, you know, if they have a smartphone, uh, which some of that maybe age or it's kind of really designed for the eight to 13 year olds. So um, those children, you know, some of those on the older end, for example, we just got my older son, his first phone. I do let him connect into that, but I have the parent uh, account associated with that so that I can see his metrics and see who he's connecting with. Okay, cool. Cool. Awesome. Um, one thing you also mentioned earlier in the show is premium for your premium members. So I know uh, when I bought my wife the Fitbit, she doesn't have to pay a subscription for it to work, right? For basic features to work. That's right. So what is this premium membership? Sure. So, and that will always be a tenant of Fitbit is that, you know, we do a lot, we have a device um, and your your data is accessible to you. And that's a, an important part of our tenant and it connects directly to the app. So as you said, that that's not a gate. What we heard from our users was that they were interested in how do I make some of this data even more actionable or how do I get deeper into this data? So we recently this fall introduced a premium membership. Um, and really what that is, is making that data actionable. So that's guided programs and guided workouts. So if you're looking to change your, uh, you know, to increase or decrease your salt intake or your sugar intake or run a 5K, there might be a guided program for you or some workouts based on what you've been doing. Those get smarter over time so they can introduce a workout that says, hey, you've been running a lot. Maybe you should go do some flexibility or strength training instead. Um, so that'll get smarter and know you and get to know you over time. It'll also give you per, uh, more personalized trends. I got an insight uh, just th this morning that said, you walk about 5,000 steps more on the weekends than you do on the weekdays. What could you build into your you know, weekday activity to do that? So I'm what they call those weekend warriors. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a yeah. little bit more active there. So getting those personalized and tailored insights to help you 
build on that proactive approach to health. Okay, and then for people wanting to invest in that, what? Uh, how does that subscription work? Yeah, so it's uh, $9.99 a month. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's a program that gives you, and as we continue to build and add new features onto that, you'll be able to continue to take advantage of new programs that we bring into that market. Okay, and is there any uh, length of term or anything with that, or is it just monthly? Yeah, there's some. There's a couple different packages. So there's monthly and annual packages and things that, um, you know, that we, for the different users who have different motivations and, and how they want to use it. One important thing I forgot, um, which is one of my favorite features of the premium membership, is our sleep score functionality. Um, so we talked about Fitbit being a leader in sleep. Um, we can actually now give a score. It was a really highly requested feature of a user. So not only do we tell you you spent this much time in REM sleep or deep sleep or light sleep, but now we can help you rate that based on um, whether it was your fair, were you a fair sleeper that night? Were you a good sleeper? Did you get excellent sleep last night? To help you set your intentions for the day and help you look at those trends over time. And it actually uses something called restoration to look at that. So it looks at how much uh, time did you spend below your resting heart rate as a key to rest and recovery of the body. Okay, cool. Now, you're mentioning all this great data and actionable data. I know the health plans that might be paying for these devices would want their consumers to act um, based on certain things that Fitbit might pick up. If I'm a, a health plan member and the plan pays for my device, does that mean the plan automatically gets all my information or can I keep that private? Short answer is yes, you can keep it private. No, they don't automatically get access. Okay. Um, the way that it works is we actually take a very proactive stance here. We have a, a corporate wellness pledge as well as a pledge for researchers around the best practices around utilizing of data. Um, so our programs are opt-in and voluntary in, in nature. Yeah. Um, there are certain programs where that might be really beneficial. So Definitely. that United Healthcare Motion program where you're gonna earn up to $1,500 back, yeah. um, you might be interested in saying, hey, if you'd like to share your data, that will help us show if you're eligible for this, these dollars. Um, and it'll, but it'll be really clear and transparent. And again, opt in as to what data is being shared, how it's being shared, um, and you can opt out at any time. That's awesome, Amy. Well, hey, this has been a wealth of information. You are just this great flow of energy, and you know your stuff. Well, thank it's you. It's pretty cool. Um, looking forward to hearing more about your talk later today. Is there anything else you think our audience of healthcare professionals uh, should know about Fitbit that you haven't shared today? I think our approach to this with these four foundational behaviors and applying them across the spectrum of care is a really important kind of philosophy that is unique to Fitbit um, and that we're uniquely positioned to do because of the, the data and the insights and the layering on of the health coaching. One thing we didn't talk to that I think would be really interesting is we actually just launched a program with the, uh, the Singapore, with Singapore, um, the country, the nation state, um, it's called Health Promotion Board. And what okay. that is, what's really interesting that is that it's bringing population health um, at the national level, utilizing all of the tools we talked to today. So I think it's a really important model and we hope to see more of that to come. You mentioned Singapore. So are you guys pretty much in all countries or tell us like where you guys are most active? Sure. Uh, we're in about 50, uh, we sell into, you know, a 60 plus markets or so. Um, and in almost all of those markets, we're also working and have dedicated teams working on our population health or health solutions. So we're with employers or payers, um, it tends to follow the consumer markets in those markets as well. Okay, and then are you able to share 
what percentage of your business is like retail versus like health plans and business to business, if you mind me asking. Sure. No, we're really excited about the momentum we've seen in our Fitbit Health Solutions business. So we're on track um, for a target that we set out at the beginning of the year of $100 million in revenue this year. So certainly the the, the lion's share, I would call it today, is in the consumer business okay. um, and a retail market. Um, but more importantly, we're seeing the growth in the health solutions business. Um, and we're continuing to see uh, more populations, whether that be a nation state like Singapore or health plans and payers and partners look to bring this to their participants as well. Awesome. And of course, uh, what's the best way for folks to learn about Fitbit? More, so many ways to learn about Fitbit, but we would recommend you can come directly to our website at Fitbit.com or health solutions at Fitbit.com. Um, and those are great ways to learn more about their business. And we'd love to hear, hear from them. So we have Hank Schlissberg with Vively here today. And uh, Hank, tell us about the announcement you guys made on Friday. Yeah, very exciting. We are, uh, we have announced that we are rebranding the company as Vively Health. Um, it's a new name for the company that really captures not only the, the spirit that we're trying to uh, help our patients feel and their caregivers and how we want them to feel every day, lively, full of life, excited, but also just how the team feels and doing something pretty neat for American healthcare. Okay, cool. Now, you're part of something bigger or a bigger organization. Tell us about that. We are. We're a subsidiary of DeVita, which is one of the world's largest kidney care companies. And this is a nice foray for DeVita into the broader world of chronic care management. Uh, if you think about the average dialysis patient, most of them have diabetes and hypertension and cardiovascular disease and chronic lung disease and, and depression and anxiety and issues that are right at the very center of what Vively manages. Okay, awesome. Now, uh, Vively is not a product, so we're here at the HLTH conference and there's a lot of products out there today. There's a lot of data companies, but Vively is not. You're actually, in a sense, you're, you're the provider or tell us what, what is Vively? Yeah, yeah, Gavin, we're a medical group. Yeah. So um, there's a couple of differences. First of all, we are a virtual medical group, meaning there's no doctor's office. 100% of our business is primary care in the home. So it's a house calls business. Uh, the second is that we are at full risk so this is not a fee-for-service uh, practice in any way, so very consistent with you know, your audience and what you guys talk about. And the third is our patients are only the highest risk, most chronically ill patients that any particular payer would be accountable to manage. Yeah, and you call them your MVPs. We do. Um, so there's a lot of terms in healthcare that we don't love. People talk about frequent flyers and things like that. And we think about these patients as the system's most vulnerable uh, patients, and yeah. we call them MVPs. And it's been great not only to dignify the patients and what their uh, challenges are, but also really rallies the team around our mission and what we're trying to do, which is to improve the quality of life for our nation's most vulnerable patients. Yeah, definitely. Now, there was a stat before your panel here at HLTH that mentioned uh, 90, I believe 93% of Medicare spending is on seniors with uh, multiple chronic conditions. I've been in healthcare for almost 20 years, and for some reason, I thought that percentage was lower, maybe like 80%. So it's it's quite high. Why is Vively positioned to be successful with this population? Yeah, so we have a point of view that says there's a very, very small slice of the patients, three, five, sometimes 7%, who just fundamentally need a different care model, 
than the other 95%. Okay. So remember the sort of conditions that I talked about. Imagine a patient with four, six, eight, ten chronic conditions, including behavioral health issues, including many, many social determinants of health, whether that is housing insecurity or food insecurity or loneliness or fall hazards in their home or things like that. And so our point of view is that very small slice of patients just needs a different care model than everybody else. And, that, and, and it's the kind of thing where you're not going to, those kinds of patients aren't going to get their needs addressed in a, in a seven to 12 minute office visit. Yep. Yep. And so you guys are doing house calls. Now is your model, um, with in ho- or primary care in the home, right? Yeah. Um, is your model to be actually most of that in person in the home, virtual visits? Tell us about that. It is. No, it is in, in person. So okay. almost all of our visits would be a physician or a nurse practitioner yeah. in the home accompanied by a social worker. Okay. And so we're doing both the primary care. And again, when, when we say primary care, we mean full primary care. They are uh, changing prescriptions, they are ordering labs, they are managing. They're not specialists, so if the patient okay. needs a cardiologist, we make sure we're coordinating with their cardiologist or with their behavioral health uh, uh, you know, psychiatrist or psychologist or MP. Um, but we're doing that in the home. And then uh, our social workers are thinking about everything else, right? We now know, and I'm sure many guests on your podcast have talked about this idea that the, your zip code is a bigger determinant of your health than oh, your yeah. zip code, right? Yes. And so we're huge believers in that. And so we always have a social worker uh, on, the, um, uh, on the call and working with the patient and their families. That's great. Um, I know social workers do a lot of behind-the-scenes work and uh, a lot of resource connection, all of that sure. good stuff. So you guys um, are in Denver today, yes. correct? Tell us why Denver. So that's the uh, headquarters of our parent company, Devita. Okay. Um, and so we started there. Uh, I live there with my wife and three daughters, uh, and we love it. Uh, we love the Colorado lifestyle. We yeah. find it a great place to just build a team and attract the right kind of talent. And then, you know, the goal is not to be very headquarters driven, right? The goal yeah. is to be in markets where our patients are. And so our first pilot market was in Philadelphia. We hired 85 new Vively teammates in Philadelphia across all the disciplines that are required to manage our patients. So that's physicians, nurse practitioners, social workers, but also behavioral health specialists, pharmacists, palliative care specialists, um, nutritionists and dietitians, uh, care coordinators, etc. And so it's really the local teams that provide the care for our patients. Okay. So while your customer, if you will, of course, are the patients, um, health plans are helping are bringing you guys in to manage this population. Is that correct? Yeah, and then of course here we get back to the tricky part of our of our U.S. healthcare system, yeah. where those who consume the care and those who provide the care and those who pay for the care are all different. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, the way our model works is we contract with the health plan, or increasingly the federal government, and some of the models that CMS and CMMI are pushing will be very attractive for for most vulnerable patients. We contract with the health plan. We use our proprietary algorithms to identify the highest risk, most chronically ill patients. And we very much take a forward-looking perspective on that. So we use predictive analytics to identify who's going to be the sickest tomorrow, not just who is the sickest today. Okay. Uh, And then it is our obligation to try and engage the individual patients uh, and provide them the best and most coordinated care we can. Okay, awesome. So today you guys are in Denver. Do you have any markets you're allowed to announce quite yet besides Denver? Oh, you're looking for the scoop. Yeah, of <laughs> course, man. 
Uh, <laughs> we're very excited about multiple markets in the first half of next year. Okay. We feel really fortunate um, to be able to find the right kinds of partners and not have to do anything for anyone all the time. Yeah. Really find the right kind of partners that we can grow with and, and align with our mission. Okay. So we're very excited about getting ready for our, uh, for the next next year. Okay. And today, do you mind me asking who are the plans that you're partnering with in Denver or maybe in your test market in Philadelphia? Yeah. So probably the best example is our, our test market in Philadelphia where we partnered with Independence Blue Cross to manage 7,000 of their highest risk, most chronically ill members. We built the care team around them. Uh, we were in the market for about 18 months and had really, really remarkable impact. So to give you some numbers, we reduced inpatient admissions by 35%. Nice. We reduced ED visits by 15%. Okay. We reduced skilled nursing facility length of stay and readmissions by over 50%. So literally cut them in half. Let me ask about that, the skilled nursing facilities. So what inspired the discharge planning process at the SNF to be like, you know what, We we can send these folks home now. I think the good news is, regardless of how uh, screwed up the incentive sometimes can be in the U.S. healthcare system, we work in an industry where people are trying to do the right thing. Yeah. So I think we can start out by the fact that even if the financial incentives are not perfect, people are looking to do more for patients, not to do less for patients. And that's terrific. Okay. I think the second part of it is, I don't think you have to do anything crazy with narrow networks or anything like that to say that... We want to provide the highest quality care for our patients and get them back to their home where they're most comfortable. And we want to work with those facilities who are aligned in that objective. When you have those two things, people trying to do the right thing, and then this idea that we're going to spend more of our time and energy on the facilities who are aligned with what we're trying to do for patients, it naturally takes care of itself. Okay, very good. Well, Hank, this is a wealth of information. Folks, check out Vively. How do, how do folks find you guys? Yeah, we're pretty active on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn, and our website is uh, VivelyHealth.com. Okay, awesome. Well, again, folks, we've had Hank Schlissberg of Vively join us today here at the HLTH conference, and best wishes, Hank. Also want to give a shout out to your colleague, Ashley, for setting this up. Thanks so much, Ashley, and best wishes, you guys, with Vively. Look forward to much success in the years to come. Thanks, Kevin. You're welcome. So, folks, I have James Wyman, who's the co-founder of Pillow Health, and before we get into Pillow Health, uh, there's some exciting news from where James is from. You want to explain that, James? Yeah, sure. So I was born and raised in South Africa, and at the moment, the Rugby World Cup is on in Japan, and we just made it to the finals. So we'll be playing against England on Saturday. Very good. Now, you currently reside in Boston, but I uh, we were talking off the air, and you mentioned you actually might travel to New York for the final, even though the game is in Japan. Explain that. Uh, it's just there's a, there's a good community of South Africans in New York City, and uh, we all generally watch the games together, and this is a, a once-every-four-years event. So awesome. To it. And 5 a.m. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Dedicated fans. Very good. Well, let's jump into Pillow Health. So, James, can you briefly explain, and I know it's easier, um, and we'll, we'll give you a YouTube link or a link to the video later, but tell us what is Pillow Health. Sure. So, uh, Pillow Health, we've created a digital health platform that allows our customers and our partners to develop and deliver digital health services uh, to patients who are managing their health at home. Okay. And those services are delivered through our proprietary hardware device. That device is a voice-first interface, so it's almost like a someone inside of the home that can be dedicated to helping you manage your health. Okay. And it really does three things. Uh, one, it delivers content and information 
both voice and video content. Two, it stores and dispenses medications. So we can store and dispense up to one month's worth of medications. And we do it in a very unique way that encourages medication adherence. And we can talk about that a little later. Okay. And then three, we connect patients at home to their care teams, whether that be a family caregiver or whether that be a, a nurse or a care case administrator. Okay, cool. So we'll get to medication adherence and how you do that in a unique way in just a moment. What inspired Pillow Health? That's a great question. Uh, so I have two co-founders, Emmanuel Musini and Dr. Aidan Feng. And you know, we had all gone through some sort of experience where we witnessed our family members, either our parents or our grandparents, either struggle with their help, health or looking after what a loved one that was managing their health. Um, and when we kind of dug a little deeper, you know, we realized that medication non-adherence is a massive problem um, and family caregivers struggling to support their loved ones is also a huge problem. There are about 40 million unpaid family caregivers in the U.S. alone. Um, and medication adherence costs about 100 to $300 billion a year annually in the United States. And so we were really dedicated to solving that problem. But we, when we looked at the devices that were on the market, a lot of them are generally clunky boxes that sort of beep an alarm at you when it's time to take your meds. It's not a great user experience. And so we said there must be a better way what if we kind of introduced this concept of leveraging technology to create a someone inside of the home so that you would build trust with the solution, that you would build or drive engagement towards the solution. And so that's what we did. And so when you think about our device, Pillow, or um, generations of it, uh, it does many different things beyond simply dispensing your meds. For example, um, it does a lot of the core things that you would use an Amazon Alexa for. So right. you can check the weather. You can ask it to read you the news. You can set timers and alarms. And so that kind of brings it into your daily routine. And then on top of that, we layer in the medication management piece. And so I think that's really helpful in improving adherence when it becomes part of your daily habits and daily routine. Okay. And why the name Pillow? That's a good question. Um, so my co-founder, Emanuele, is Italian, as you can probably get from the name. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he came up with the, with the name. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. It's a very Italian-sounding name. And, and that's what we went with. Okay. Awesome. Now, uh, Pillow is not uh, necessarily in startup. Well, I guess you can say it's a startup organization, but you actually have some business coming in. Tell us about that and uh, how you guys are now out in the market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we were very focused on a almost a direct-to-consumer model in the early days of the company. Um, but then in 2016, something really important happened. We did an Indiegogo campaign, which is very similar to Kickstarter. It's like a crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. And we got a lot of media attention several reasons. Uh, voice first as an interface is um, becoming really hot right now. Yeah. Um, healthcare moving into the home is a massive trend and generally the connected home as well. And we can touch on all of those on of those trends. Um, so we got a lot of attention and from there we started getting inbounds from many different companies, um, providers, payers, pharmaceutical companies from all around the world. And so we realized that um, the real opportunity here was not to just build a device, but to build a platform that empowered these organizations to leverage our device. And so we can customize and build unique solutions for each of these types of organizations. Okay. So the first product that we've launched, launched with um, is called Priya by Black & Decker. So Stanley Black & Decker are our commercial launch partner here in the United States. Uh, they sell through retail. You may know them from a lot of their tools, businesses. They also have a large healthcare business called Stanley Healthcare. Okay. So we launched Priya by Black & Decker in conjunction with Stanley Black & Decker about a month ago. Um, and it's really dedicated to helping family caregivers look after their loved ones in a convenient way that doesn't necessarily encroach on their independence. Okay. So 
the solution is a combination of the device, which as I mentioned, delivers information and stores and dispenses medication, and then a mobile application that can be downloaded by any member of the family care team, and they're able to track medication adherence levels, receive alerts if a loved one doesn't interact with the device or doesn't take their medication, and there's many different things that could trigger an alert, and then you can easily reach out either through a concept called check-ins that you leave on the device, or actually video calling directly into the device to speak to your loved one. Okay. So that product launched uh, about a month ago. We're now very focused on working with payers and other providers um, to tailor solutions to them, and you'll see those coming out in early 2020. Okay, awesome. That's great. So it sounds like you have some traction there based on the comment about early 2020. Um, you mentioned the video calling. So let's say, for example, my dad, uh, who's a senior, uh, has the device at home, and he needs to take his medication. I notice he doesn't do it. Do I also need to own uh, a pillow device to be able to video call, or can I do it through the app? You can do it directly through the mobile application. Okay. So you would download the Priya mobile application, and it's simply one-touch video calling. If you've been permissioned, there's this concept called drop-in, yep. similar to what you would have with an Amazon show, yep. where your father would not even need to answer the device, and you would simply be able to start the experience. Yeah. Um, in, if you've been permission to program. Cool. I have an Amazon Echo, which has a similar capability. Yeah. So I'm familiar with that. And you know, the video calling is actually really, really powerful. We have received amazing feedback uh, from users and care teams. Um, the ability to be able to not just hear your loved one when you're checking in with them, but actually see them visually. Um, did they, are they still in their pajamas? Have they brushed their hair? Those kinds of things are actually really important cues when you're looking after them. Yeah, definitely. So for the uh, the cost for consumers, what is the cost of the device? Are there subscriptions? Tell us about that. Sure. So right now, you can go to okpriya.com and purchase a Priya device for a loved one. Okay. It would be $599 up front for the hardware. Okay. And then $10 a month for this Care Connect service where you download the mobile application as a caregiver. We are looking into ways to essentially finance that so that there's not a large upfront payment. Yeah. Um, and you would do uh, split that payment essentially over 12 months. Okay. Um, and that's something that will be coming in the next few months. So like $50 a month, for example. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Awesome. And um, I can edit out this pause. Uh, you touched on how it's different, which was one of the keys. Okay. So I think we have everything covered. Um, I think maybe I could do something more on the different piece. Okay. Yeah. That was the one thing that I thought I should ask again, but I knew you touched on it. So no, let me... I'm very happy to go into okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'll edit this part out. So you mentioned a little bit earlier, maybe some of the ways uh, Pillow's different, but can you expand on how Pillow can differentiate itself from its competitors? Sure. And, and I think when you talk about competitors, you're talking about other medication management devices. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there's a couple of ways. One, I mentioned that uh, by layering in these assistant features fits into your daily routine which is habit forming and that's really important when you're dealing with long-term chronic conditions yeah um i think another really important difference is the form factor you know it's a beautiful device and we spend a lot of time and a lot of research to understand exactly why the device looks like it should it's sort of got this round beautiful shapes and it's almost anthropomorphic device it's got okay. eyes on it and so that actually builds trust and the engagement uh, over time just naturally okay couple of other reasons. Uh, one, it's proactive. So a lot of the other assistants that are on the market uh, are driven by user, using a wake word. Yeah. But for us, once you set your schedule, the device actually wakes up, looks into the room for you, and engages with you. Um, and so that's something that's really unique and, and, and very powerful. Okay. Now, candidly, I know some people don't want 
a device watching them. So tell us about consumers or users being open to the idea of this device, uh, Priya, right now, mm-hmm. um, being able to notice they're in the room and how they're being receptive to that or with the pushback. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very valid point. You know, I would say a couple of things. You know, the first is when cell phones came out and we all realized that we essentially had a tracking device in our pockets at, at, at all times, there was a little bit of pushback, but ultimately the benefits far outweighed the privacy concerns. Definitely. And so when you think about our device inside of the home, yes, um, there are privacy items that we need to consider and we take privacy and data security incredibly carefully, incredibly seriously. And we've been architected from the ground up for healthcare, so we're HIPAA compliant and we really respect privacy. Okay. But when you think about the benefits, you know, we aren't um, simply an Amazon Echo that's playing the music. We are performing a critical function of providing you with health information, storing and dispensing your medications and connecting you to care in moments of need. And so uh, what we found is that, yes, people do, they are aware of the potential privacy concerns, but ultimately the benefits far outweigh those concerns. Yeah, I like how you said that about the the pros outweighing the cons. Um, I definitely agree with it. I know some people who still stay off the grid today and uh, don't have a smartphone and pay all their bills. uh, I, I get it. Um, but I, for me, like I would agree that I'm willing to be open to that because pros outweigh the cons. So um, as we wrap up here, James, uh, again, how can folks uh, keep up to date with Pillow Health? Absolutely. So you can either go to www.pillowhealth.com. Can you spell that for us? Sure. That's P-I-L-L-O-H-E-A-L-T-H. No W. No W. Yeah. And uh, you'll be able to find uh, information on our site and that gets updated regularly. Um, to the extent that you wanted to actually buy a device for a loved one, if this sounds like a solution that may be good for you, um, you can go to okpria.com. Uh, you can also find the device on Amazon and on Best Buy online. Okay. Awesome, James. Well, thanks so much for stopping by here at HLTH. Best wishes going into 2020 and best wishes this weekend uh, on the final. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. Well, that wraps it up, folks, from HLTH, which was, again, earlier this fall or the fall of 2019. And uh, stay tuned for other special episodes and a great lineup we have for 2020. And again, if you'd like to leave a review on the show or learn more about the show, check us out on iTunes or pophealthpodcast.com. You can also find us on Spotify and Stitcher. Thanks, everybody. Take care.